Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. All right. Hi, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Bob Akhairi, and I'm joined, as always, by Shahan Jayaraja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where you can participate in polls, see video highlights of the show, and send us feedback. Of course, we're a podcast, and we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to our show wherever you find us. Good reviews are always welcome. This is a show dedicated to finding the ultimate survivor in the college football playoff race. So we're all about the pair of games that are coming up on January 1st in the semifinals. We've spent the previous shows talking about bigger picture items and key players to watch. Today, we're going to begin a new series, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Shahan, to tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, so this is the last year of the four-team playoff, of course, and we've got four contenders. we got four finalists for this last group. We can argue about the fact that one of them, uh, you know, maybe shouldn't be here. That's a conversation for two podcasts ago, but uh, we're here, uh, and we're going to start our talk with the Rose Bowl, and we're going to start with Alabama today. We're going to go through every one of the four teams, get experts and analysts from each of the four teams who have been around the teams all year long. And uh, I'm excited, Bobby. How about you? I am too. I cannot wait to get this started. So today we're going to start with Matt Stahl. Um, Matt covers the Alabama Crimson Tribe for AL.com. He's previously covered the Mizzou Tigers for the Columbia Daily Tribune. And started his career covering the sport of kings, the horsey set for Horse Racing Nation. So he actually knows how to read a racing form. But we're here to talk about the tide. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Thank you all for having me. You know, I listen to the show pretty frequently. I appreciate it. Y'all do sort of a like college football playoff podcast. It isn't just like corporate nonsense. So glad to be here. Well, let's get started with a little bit of nonsense, okay? So, most important question I'm going to ask today. I need you to power rank these four quarterbacks, okay? Jalen Melrow, Austin Reed, Caden Veltkamp, and Brady Cook. One through four in order. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Matt, so, by the way, is a Western uh, Kentucky Velt- grad for people who don't know. <laughs> yeah. Caden Veltkamp, who I covered in high school, was making $35 a game stringing for the Bowling Green Daily News at the time. And he was at Southmore in high school in Bowling Green. So I uh, covered a few games of his. Uh, he he actually succeeded uh, Steve Spurrier's grandson as the quarterback <laughs> of the Southmore and Spartans. Uh, then, yeah, you know, Austin Reed just wasn't there for the uh, famous Toastery Bowl, the most important postseason game. Uh, you know, then... Boy, Brady Cook, Jalen Milrow is a toss-up. Uh, I, I will say I felt fairly vindicated this season by, you know, I went on the radio right before I left the Mizzou beat, and somebody was, you know, some radio guy was like, what, are they going to get, are they going to get Brady Cook out of there? 
you gotta do. I'm like, I think Brady Cook could actually be all right as long as he can like stand up during the game. And uh I was right. So yeah, him and him and Milrow, uh you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get the Tide fans or the Tigers fans running at me. So we'll just we'll put them tied for third between the two <laughs> behind the two Western Kentucky guys. <laughs> nice. I love it. So, you know, I have to ask you, um, this has obviously been a really interesting year to be covering the Tide, to watch their development, watch how the season has shifted, um, particularly from what we saw in the first several weeks to where we are now. As someone who's just been obviously watching this team as close as anyone can outside of just not being within like the offices themselves. What, what was the change? How would you characterize those changes after the loss to Texas and that close loss, uh, probably that close win over South Florida? What were the transitions you saw that turned them into the team? Because I think all of us started to get that vibe. Like here comes Alabama. Oh, wow. Where did they, <laughs> suddenly they, 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 they became inevitable again, but what, from what you observed, what were the, what was that tonal shift? Tonal shit, boy, I think that South Florida game just woke a lot of them up. I mean, there's, you know, the conspiracy theories out there that Saban was like kind of sandbagging that game a little bit to you know, maybe make people realize like, ah, Jalen Milrow probably is the best quarterback on this team because obviously he didn't play in that game. And, you know, I don't, I, I would never think shit, like Nick Saban was actually like trying to throw the first half of a game or whatever, but it did like it changed the, I guess, makeup of my inbox, you know, Alabama fans, kind of a rowdy bunch. I was getting a lot of like, oh, we got to get Milrow out of here. Milrow should never play another snap at the University of Alabama. Then after, you know, one half each of watching Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson play football, it was uh, this Milrow kid. He's the future of the program. Got to get Milrow back out there. But for him, I think the big difference and maybe maybe this is it for the whole team, although you've seen different groups kind of get it in different weeks. It's just sort of been a confidence thing. Like you watch him those first few weeks against Texas and even in even against Middle Tennessee State, he just looks so tentative. And it come the Ole Miss game where Saban had come out on Monday, which he doesn't usually do in QB competition seasons, and say like, yes, Milrow's the guy. We're sticking with him. The competition's done you know, we're going with Jalen. Like, it seemed like he was less, just afraid to make a mistake. And sort of as a result, stopped making a lot of mistakes. Like, it just, uh, and you watch where the mistakes wouldn't rattle him as much. Like, he threw the first pick against Texas, and he just shook. He was done at that point. They're losing the game because he was never getting his head back in it. The team was never getting their head back in it. And, I mean, you see him a few other times this season, he'll go throw one interception. And just come back out and shake it off. And, you know, he's running his signature pass play, which is, you know, Jermaine Burton, run real fast. I'll throw it real far. Touchdown. Uh, you know, seemingly yeah, unrattled is the word that comes to mind, but that's not a word. But, like, unaffected, I guess, by previous mistakes. And that's been sort of the tale of the whole team. Everybody's looking just more confident, I think, week to week. You know, one of the things was in that South Florida game, we obviously saw them struggle on the offensive line so much. They allowed, what was it, five sacks, I think it was, against South Florida. And, and obviously, Cade Proctor, the, the true freshman starting at left tackle, got a lot of attention for his struggles that game. How much do you think this unit has grown, uh, especially when you look at that Georgia game and as you look forward to a Michigan game? 
Yeah. Yeah. They've got significantly better through the season. I mean, it just, in, like the group just looks so shaken, even in the middle Tennessee state game, like Milrow was spending a lot of time running for his life against the defensive front that like should not have had anybody running for their life at any point in the season. And then, yeah, that South Florida game was awful. I, I Caden Proctor was abysmal, frankly, for the first half of the season. And I mean, they've had other issues too. Like you've seen, I mean, even JC Latham was missing blocks just uncharacteristically. Uh, Seth McLaughlin, I mean, the snapping was so bad. And he, he switched to doing more of a dead ball snap midway through the season just because, like, it wasn't, it was rolling to Milrow. It was going over Milrow's head. And it kind of, it kind of reared up again in the Iron Bowl, right? Like, you saw that uh, fourth and 31 was 31 yards because the snap went when Milrow wasn't ready for it. And he had to just dive on the ball. But, yeah, it's it's like the unit has just gelled a little bit. Proctor is just looking better and better. I think maybe some of it, I guess it could have been sort of a conditioning issue because he's looked better towards the end of games now. Like it's not like he's made a few blocks and then sort of faded out. But I think you know being right right there next to Tyler Booker, obviously very good guard, very experienced. I think has helped him out. Seems like the line is just maybe communicating a little better. Like there were some of those blocks early in the season where it was just clear nobody knew who they were supposed to be blocking for some reason. And those plays have been fixed. Also, I mean, you know, Milrose looked less afraid to run. So maybe that just has something to do with it. You know, going into that, how much also have you seen the influence of Tommy Reese coming into this? Because obviously it was his new year running this particular offense. And as he got comfortable in his role, did that also lend itself to to Jalen Milrow's comfort in the pocket um, and his ability to move and confidence to move? Because I, certainly we saw that. There was definitely a correlation with his ability just to, to make decisions, move on his plays. He was back there less as well to, to necessarily get as many sacks as he had in the, the first half of the year. How much of that, that change have you noticed as well, or, or what sort of correlation do you see there? I think Tommy's sort of simplified it a little bit for him. Like, he and. He's given Jalen sort of, I guess, permission is the word to like go use his legs when he needs to, because you hear, you know, Nick Saban and Jalen Miller have talked about this all the time. He's trying to be the point guard for the offense. He's not the shooting guard is the distributor. And, and, you know, all that's fine until there's three linebackers bearing down on you in the backfield and you just need to turn it up the field and, you know, go get your 15 yards or whatever because nobody's open. Uh, yeah, but on the Tommy front, yeah, he's, he's another one who uh, my inbox is a lot less complaints than it did at the beginning of the season. I mean, you even saw, I think it was in that South Florida game where the camera cut to him just looking miserable in the, in the booth up there calling plays, but it's just, it's got better. I think they figured out what's going to work for this offense as part of it. They've, and there's, they're not, feeling out as much stuff now uh they know the good stuff and the good stuff is you know we're gonna we're gonna try and set up the run for sort of jace mcclellan roy dell williams and jalen as needs to be um there's not a whole lot of like high super high percentage pass stuff that they're doing anymore i think spencer hall was making the joke that if you looked at like a milro stat line after the game and he completed 70 percent of his passes they probably lost but they figured out, like, all right, we got Isaiah Bond and we got Jermaine Burton. Uh, I mean, some other guys, too. I mean, Malik Benson, former track athlete who just hasn't been as involved 
on this team as he could be. But they got a lot of fast dudes who can run straight and run far and Milrow who can, you know, throw the ball as far as you need to get it past the defense. So I, it's to to me it seemed like they've just figured out what's worked and like haven't tried to get too inventive beyond that. You know, when you look at this team defensively, obviously, I mean, that secondary gets a lot of attention. Those edge rushers get a lot of attention. How do you feel like this interior group has played? And, you know, obviously they're playing a team in Michigan that wants to to run at you, run all over you, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they want to do every single play. And uh, when you look at what Georgia did uh, two years ago to beat them, when you look at the issues that TCU presented last year, so much of it was getting them out of their group in the running game. How do you think Alabama kind of stacks up from that perspective? They're pretty good. They've been a little banged up. Uh, Jaheim Otis has had some injury issues through the season. He just, I mean, he might be the biggest player on the team. I think maybe JC Latham has his beat, hasn't beat, but he, I mean, he's enormous. Uh, so they got some, some of the big Tim Keenan is in there. Very good. Uh, you know, a defensive end, like Justin O'Boyd's been really, really awesome for him throughout the season. Uh, linebacker you go i mean deontay lawson's been injured but they've been able to shake off some injuries at linebacker this year i mean in part just because jihad campbell coming off the bench has been so strong at the inside linebacker spot there being able to come in and take over for deontay or whoever's injured but they stack up well they sort of end up being i guess kind of the unsung heroes of the team just because i mean they got dallas turner like they got kool-aid mckinstry like it you're gonna be the unsung hero when those dudes are on the team Absolutely. You know, um, one of the areas that's been curious to me too, just kind of building on this, watching Alabama prepare for this game. And and, I mean, you know, obviously we've been hearing a little bit, they've only just started from what I understand. They're about three practices in. Three practices. Yeah. yeah, What at the time of this recording for the record, um, where coming from, coming from what you've observed, what's the, 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 the approach that coach Saban and his group is going at this? Have they hinted at all? that there are directions they, they see themselves heading, preparing for this Michigan offense? No, I mean, they've talked a little bit about it being, you know, it's more balanced than some of the ones they face. They really like to run the ball. So uh, I guess getting back into what Saban said had been the focus through three practices, which was just getting back to fundamentals. And some of the players echoed that too. Dallas Turner had a quote about, like, we're going to need to put our hard hats on here. This team, I mean, you remember Michigan a few years ago showed off at the up at the playoff with like the run the damn ball stuff and like all of that. Like they were going to mash on, was it Georgia that year? Was it Alabama that year? Whatever team it was, it did not work. Uh, I, so I think I, that was I, the TCU I, game I, actually that they did that and they couldn't run the ball. Oh yeah. yeah. It didn't work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but not every, not every team is Penn state. Not every team is Penn no. state. But that, they're very, they're well aware. Like this is going to be more of a rushing attack challenge than they faced, and I, I, I don't know how it's going. to Like they haven't faced a whole ton of teams that just want to mash on you this season. I mean, Auburn was able to really like get a strong run push going, but that was the Iron Bowl at Auburn. So like I just throw it in the trash. Like anything that happened in that game, like to me, happened in just a weird other space where it's like how much, how much can you really? take that into account. And then, I mean, Georgia inexplicably stuck with the run like far, far too long in that SEC championship game. And I mean, they were able to stop that pretty well. So the, this one, obviously Michigan can run the ball better than Georgia has, but 
it, it's going to be an interesting matchup, especially with some of the strengths Alabama has on defense. You know, it's interesting because through the first little bit of the year, I, I mean, you look at this Alabama resume and, and we're not going to we're not going to do the Florida State thing again, I promise. But, uh, you know, you look and there's a three point win over Arkansas. There's a six point win over Texas A&M. Like the, the impressive sort of wins before the Georgia game and the Georgia game is what it is. We're like knocking Jaden Daniels out against LSU and we're like Ole Miss not being able to hang, which is not something that's new to this season. So, I mean, when you're looking at this Alabama team, and it is your first year on the beat, but not your first year in the SEC, I mean, how good exactly do you think this Alabama team is? Is this a team that should enter the playoffs as a title favorite? Is this one that uh, is one of the weaker teams of the Saban years? I mean, it's, even for me, it's been a little difficult to try to figure that out. Yeah. No, I also have no idea. And on the Florida State thing, I'll tell you, I thought Florida State should have got in. Uh, <laughs> don't tell the don't tell the Gumps, but that's just never how the committee has like processed these things before. It was weird that like I can't I I, I was all out like publicly like telling I was like I don't think they're getting in. This isn't how the committee operates. And boy, they uh, proved me wrong on that one. I feel I feel awful for Florida State, even though I'm looking forward to going to the Rose Bowl. It's worked out advantageously for me, but. Yeah, I don't know on how good Alabama is. I really don't. Like, if you got me at the beginning of SEC play, like, absolutely not. They're no, they shouldn't be a playoff contender. They're going to get smoked by any team that's going to be in the play. I mean, they lost to Texas at home. Like, but at this point, I mean, I've watched them look better literally every single week and just figure out ways to win games. You know, like, you look at that Auburn game where, I mean, I, I got a good, if you look at my Twitter, like I got, or X or whatever they're calling it now, like I got from the opposite side of the end zone, like I got the throw to win that game. The reason I was standing there was because I was going to have to turn around and run through the tunnel because there's going to be a field rush and I had to get to the press conference. Like they just, they've been able to just find these ways to win games that like I I have no idea really what's going to happen in these playoff games. Like even if they play Texas again, Texas beat them pretty soundly. I thought and I, I couldn't like, I, I wouldn't bet on that game either way. Well, let me kind of, let me build on that then. Let's look at the immediate game coming up in the Rose Bowl, which by the way is a fabulous venue. I've never covered the bowl, but I've been there for a UCLA game or two actually. And I've been to a Rose Bowl, but, but as a fan long, long ago, long ago, but um, the uh, what, what, will make what what are the keys to Alabama victory over Michigan on January 1st? Let's start with just this upcoming game. Whether or not they can win the whole thing, that's a whole other question. But heading into this game, what are your keys for success for the tide? Uh shake and loose, I think they probably they're gonna need to get some of those explosive plays going. Whether it's Milrow taking off and you know going 60 yards for a touchdown whether it's going over the top, hitting, you know, one of those speedy receivers going 75 yards for a touchdown. Like they're going to need a couple of those. Uh, this Michigan defense is good. It's not going to give you a whole lot. You got to really capitalize when you're able to. Uh, defensively, I mean, it's those edge rushers are going to be huge, I think. And I mean, they have the, you know, Chris Braswell replaced Will Anderson and he's done a, a uh, remarkable job doing that. It means as much as anybody can replace Will Anderson. And obviously, Dallas Turner's been one he's been for years. He'll be a draft pick. 
they'll both probably be draft picks this year. I assume, I'm just assuming Dallas Turner's leaving early at this point. Like it's why why would he come back? But he's going to be big. They're going to need to stop. I don't even know that they're going to need to fully shut down that run game, right? But like they're going to need to limit it enough. That's good. That'll, that'll be key. And then uh, I'll go. I'll go. Special teams one eliminate some of these mistakes. Like one of the like low key things that's hurt Alabama this season is like nobody can field punts. Like Kool Aid McKinstry was one of the best like punt returners in the league last year, and like he can he's barely been able to catch the ball. They put Caleb Downs in against Chattanooga, and he ran one back for a touchdown. But even he's having like real issues just fielding the thing. So you got to eliminate some of the gaffes, I think, on special teams. If Alabama does get upset by Michigan, what's the uh, what's the exhaust port? What are they shooting into to to make this thing explode? Ooh, that's a that's a good. See, it's got to the point where it's a team without a whole lot of like really obvious weakness at this point. Like, I guess it's the offensive line. Like, I guess Michigan is just getting to Milrow and not letting any sort of run game happen and getting and you know keeping him contained where he has to make throws that aren't there yet. And then I, I you know, this Alabama team really isn't super built to chase. So I think if Michigan can get out and you know go up 14 or you know go up 21 or you know somewhere in there like Alabama I think would have a hard time coming back from that. I think is where Michigan is going to be finding success. Yeah, to, to follow up on that real quick, do you feel like at this point, because you look back at the Texas loss, one of the biggest stats of that game, two interceptions from Jalen Milrow, do you think against an elite-level defense like Michigan has, is he a turnover risk at this point, or are we just past that point? No, because like a lot of those intermediate throws he was really struggling with, he's either making them, or they're just not in the playbook anymore. Like you, when you see a miss, he's missing long on a deep ball. Like he'll he'll make an inexplicable read from time to time, but it won't be intercepted because he's not going somewhere where it's going to be intercepted. Like it's going somewhere just where it's just going to hit grass. I mean, you saw God, I can't terrible beat writer. I can't remember what exact game it was, but I think everybody saw like the worst miss of all time. By Milrow, or it may have been Roydell Williams, which just opened downfield, and Milrow just pulls the trigger a bit too early and just goes way past him. <laughs> like that kind of thing will happen. But he's not—he's not throwing balls into harm's way. Except, I mean, you look at some of his passes. If he's throwing like a short ball towards the sideline, which is one that they've really kind of taken out, like those things still hang in the air. Like he'll take all day for that ball to get there. Uh, against a really good defense, that's going to go back for six. But I, I think Tommy Reese and company have done a good job just like putting him in a place offensively where like his mistakes are one play mistakes. They're not six point mistakes. You know, this is something I know you've written about recently, and it's a story that obviously we'd be remiss not to mention involving Michigan. But everyone who's listening to this is probably hardcore enough to know about the whole Connor Stallion story at Michigan and all the, all the signs and all of that stuff. And I know coach Saban's been asked about it a few times back when it was breaking out, but also now heading into this game. So how, how is he and how's coach Saban and the staff viewing this particular issue heading into the Rose Bowl? 
Uh, well, when I asked him on uh, Monday, yesterday, uh, he said, I, I'm like, are you changing the signs for this game? He's like, oh, not really. We're, uh, we're not really focused on that. Uh, which I'm, I'm not reporting anything here. Seems untrue. Like that, <laughs> but would they, would they do like, it anyway? You know, wouldn't they be doing it anyway? That, that's my other thought, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, he did mention he's like we kind of change things up a little bit every game. You know, I, I guess one of the Connor Stallions games was that 2021 SEC championship game against huh. Georgia was one that he had a minion at. But I mean, it's just like if your signs haven't changed since 2021 at this point, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> somebody's got them since 2021. So, like, surely they're at least going to be a little bit different for this game. And I mean, also, if you want to look at, and to me, it's the college football equivalent of like the basketball team that goes and hires like a recruit's dad to be like their, you know, director of some nonsense so they can go get a five star recruit. Uh, Rick Stansbury used to do this all the time at Western Kentucky. Uh, but they went and hired George Hilo, who was uh, Michigan's <laughs> linebackers coach last season. So, you know, it, there's a little gamesmanship going on both ways, I think. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, too, because that, that's been kind of another story floating out there, especially on the Michigan side of it. It's like, oh, they got our old linebacking coach. What are they trying to do? Um, what are the thoughts of there? What, what has been your impression of that particular hire? Uh, I think, I mean, they probably did it for the same reason everybody thinks they did it. But uh, Saban has said, he's like, you know, in the midst of we got this playoff coming up, we got the early signing period happening. I'm on the road recruiting all the time. He's like, we always bring somebody in to like kind of add to the staff, somebody who's sort of works as a special assistant to me, who can kind of brief me on what's going on when I've got back, when I get back from the road, which to me, your staff is pretty big, like in the first place. Like surely that person already existed on staff. No, no, no. This one other guy is going to fix everything. <laughs> yes, if we know anything about football coaches, it's that they're truthful about their intentions at all times. That's the one thing every football coach is. So, you know, I, I of course, believe Nick Saban with my whole heart when he says, you know, it's, when he minimizes the fact that it was his college football playoff opponents, like, last linebackers coach. <laughs> Uh, the real question is going to be, so uh, who are, I, I wonder who they hire next. Do they hire a Fresno State assistant? Do they hire, I guess they've already got Alabama guys, uh, you know, from, who might have been tied to Steve Sarkeesian already. So maybe they don't need yeah. to hire somebody new in that case. I'm just curious uh, who, who they think that they're going to get next. So let, let's kind of close things out with this. So we've mentioned the Michigan matchup. Who do you think is the better matchup? for Alabama heading into a national championship game? Would it be Washington or would it be Texas? That's a great question. And it's a great question because I haven't got to watch that much Washington football this season. You should. They're a lot of like, fun. I think they, yeah, they, from what I've seen. Yeah. It's one of those, like if you're the beat writer, you don't actually get to watch as much football. Like when I was in horse racing, First of all, I was, uh, hey, you know this as well as anybody, trying to get out of horse racing. No offense to my old bosses, but I, w- I really wanted to be in college football. And, I, and so I'd just sit there on Saturdays, like do my horse racing work for my apartment, you know, five screen college football all day. And uh, since I've been a beat writer, it's like I get to watch the Alabama game and like 
you know, maybe the Pac-12 after dark. Like, there's not – you don't get to watch a zillion games every day. So Washington's one of those teams. I guess I've, I've seen them play Oregon. They do have – I mean, they got Michael Penix, which is, they, you know, got the high-flying attack and all that, which uh, that I think Alabama matches up with pretty well. I mean, they were able to, like, stop that hypo offense pretty well cold in the Tennessee game. I know they're not the same thing, but, you know, a lot of – High flying plays there. They go fast. Um, had a quarterback with an arm, the whole deal. So I think on that note, they will match up pretty well with Washington. But in the Texas game, I'd be interested to see again at this point. I don't think necessarily think Quinn Ewers, like he's to me, he sort of built the reputation of his season on that Alabama game and like hasn't played as well since then. So interesting to see. I, I like, I'm not going to pick Alabama outright in that game because I watched them play at Bryant-Denny Stadium and, like, Texas beat the brakes off of them. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was as close as the score was that game. But and that, that, to me, that's the more intriguing matchup, I think. Absolutely. You know, one, one, since you brought it up, you know, with, you started at Horse Racing Nation. Is Nick Saban easier or harder to interview than a horse? Uh, <laughs> You know, they say, they say about the same things. Uh, the things people always like hit me on the, at the beginning of this be it's like, are you nervous to talk to Nick Saban? You know, he's, he's mean to reporters sometimes. Like, dude, I had a, I had a horse trainer, like threatened to fight me one time and he met it <laughs> <laughs> and he could have, I mean, you walk back there. I didn't, I knew hardly anything about horse racing. I graduated in May of 2020. And I knew somebody working at Horse Racing Nation. He's like, hey, we need we need a live body now. Like, you know anything about horse racing? And I lied a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Watch the Kentucky Derby nearly every year. And I ended up really liking the sport. But it was so different from everything I'd done before because they just hand you a Churchill Downs barn pass. And I'd just show up at 4 or 5 in the morning and just, like, talk to people while they're training horses or whatever. But there's some characters back there and like, but once you get it, back it into the either, paddock all, all bets are off huh you know <laughs> yeah it was, it was trainers who like you know like that guy could have absolutely fought me oh uh, my goodness and one it was that wasn't that wasn't ending well for me also like like people with money oh like, yeah. you saw some saw some of that out there i'm like some of these people i think could make me disappear pretty quick yeah the, the so, horse like, you said ain't no joke I feel like horse racing in the South is like if college football is too like is too straight laced for you. If if there's too much accountability, then you go if you if you want too much accountability, you go to college football where there's basically no rules. So instead you go to horse racing where there's literally no rules. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> F1 <great>. money. <laughs> yeah. I mean I made uh, part, I mean, part of the reason I got on the Mizzou beat in the first place was because I was like really on top of the Bob Baffert, like Kentucky Derby cheating scandal. Like, you know, I, I just broke all sorts of news on that one because like for a while I was, I was the youngest national horse racing rider by 30 something years, like something, <laughs> some ridiculous amount of time. But I was also the one who had like most recently covered like cops and courts at you know, internships when I was in college or when I was like reporting on news in college. So like I knew when to show up at the courthouse and I knew how to like search through like 
you know, federal lawsuits and such. So like I was just breaking news just by virtue of being the only person to know anything. So it's a, yeah, it is, it is really the wild west. I keep saying, um, oh, I'm going to wait 15 story. years and then I'm going to write the Baffert, like Derby cheating scandal book. <laughs> so, okay. Last question. Really? Uh, do you regret getting out of horse racing before you could have become best friends with Nikola Jokic? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was you. You know, you ran into some characters that like you just see people at the horse track from time to time, like Bill Murray occasionally. Like they'll just show up in the winning circle at Churchill Downs. You know, I've run around like seen Dale Earnhardt Jr. I went to dinner with Mattress Mac one time when I was there, and but yeah, no, no Jokic. That was uh, you know, I'll have to go back one of these days and see if I can run into him. Oh, this is a delight. See, I was just imagining, you know, with what you were describing that, you know, both Coach Saban and the horses just say nay to everything, you know, but you went, you went far beyond where I was going with it. That, that, was, that was brilliant. Your listeners are going to be like, what is happening? What a, who is this guest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. For those who want to follow Matt Stahl, just go to AL.com. He's there, Alabama, one of their Alabama writers there. Um, you can find him on X at Matt Stahl 97. Um, it's been a pleasure, Matt. We, we looking forward to talking to you sometime in the future, but good luck prepping for the Rose Bowl. It's going to be an exciting game. It's going to be a fabulous venue. I'm glad you get to go check that out. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. But yeah, thank you all for having me. It has been a blast. Thanks. So we'll be right back and uh, Shehan and I are going to talk a little bit about what we've learned. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that was a good conversation. I, I, I think I learned a lot from, from Matt and, and his perspectives on Alabama as they head into the Rose Bowl. Sean, what were your thoughts? Yeah, well, it was a good conversation. And I feel like it got to one of my biggest questions, which was, I don't know exactly how good this Alabama team is. And I think that even Matt admitted, right? Like, we don't necessarily know on a 1 to 10 scale, like, is this Alabama team a 9, a 7? Like, like, it's hard to kind of tell with it. They've had so many performances that are 10 level. They've had a couple of performances that are four level across the season. Um, but, you know, one thing that I was a little encouraged to hear about is, you know, for Jalen Milrow to have kind of taken that turnover component out of his game, I think is a really big deal. And he makes a good point kind of thinking back to some of what we've seen the past couple of weeks from Jalen Milrow. It has been a lot of balls going too long or going too wide and not necessarily being delivered into coverage. I think that Tommy Reese deserves a lot of credit for that with the way that he's calling games. But I mean, the thing is, if Alabama doesn't turn over the ball more than once, probably, I really like them in this game. Yeah, I, I have similar views on that, especially the growth of the entire offense. It's kind of learned throughout the season, both um, individual performances as with the offensive line developing, perhaps as he pointed out, conditioning, improving so that they're lasting longer as a, as a line to protect 
Milrow in the back there, but also allowing Jalen Milrow to develop into a quarterback and uh, giving him more options to to run around. But also Tommy Reese changing, kind of simplifying the offense. This was pointed out by Matt. I mean, the opportunity for him to to choose passes that lend more towards his ability. So if he is missing a pass, it's a deep ball. It's not something that's going to potentially turn the ball over really close to wherever they were. I mean, I think all of that coming together is is why I can see the the favor how, how a lot of people are favoring Alabama heading into this Rose Bowl because Michigan is interesting. I mean, the one thing that and it, this is something where I think I'll save for talking to when we develop with the Michigan uh, analyst that when we get to when we get to talking to him. But this Jalen Milrow, I don't think he's so different than anything that they've seen. I mean, the types of quarterbacks, I mean, I was kind of writing about, it's like Jalen Milrow is like if Caleb Williams had a competent defense, I mean, more than a competent defense and, you know, strong talent all around and playing at the level that they should. Um, I mean, he's closer to that. And I don't think Michigan has faced an offense like this, especially with a quarterback like Milrow. So that part, I'm absolutely extremely interested to see how they're going to prepare for that and whether or not that's going to be the deciding factor in it. But I mean, it, it's a fascinating situation. Both both sides of the ball. I love this matchup. I love both these matchups. But this one in particular is just a mystery to me in, in how they're actually going to shape up. No, I mean, and, and you mention it. Obviously, you look at Michigan right now. I mean, who's the best quarterback they played this year? Like probably Talia Tungavailoa, probably, who they only beat by seven points. And after that, it is kind of a wasteland, right? Like it's Kyle McCord, who kind of got run off at Ohio State. It's, I mean, I was even looking, uh, you know, they played UNLV, UNLV earlier in the year, but that was before they put Jordan Maiava in that quarterback. So, like, that was when they were playing with their worst quarterback. They didn't even play the good quarterback at that time. So, it's going to be a different kind of challenge uh, for Michigan having to go up against this Alabama team. But I think that uh, Alabama also has a different kind of rushing challenge, like what Matt mentioned, having to, to cover this Michigan team. They're going to try to go up the middle against a banged up, like Matt was mentioning, uh, Alabama defensive line in a different kind of way. So I, I think to me, though, it's just a dynamic component that I can't get past. And that's why I just can't favor Michigan in this game, because I don't know. You know, if if Michigan gets off schedule, how does this work? And I think that Alabama has the ability to, to get them there. So it. A lot left to happen, and the other thing, too, is you you got 15 practices to kind of work some of this stuff out. I would not be surprised to see Michigan uh, sort of work up a, a deep pass early for this matchup to try to get things on the board, but it's going to be an interesting game for sure. I, I was interested also to say that, uh, you know, with Alabama looking forward to those other two opponents, that Matt feels like they match up better against Washington than they do against Texas. I think that's probably correct just because of the power that Alabama has in their secondary. But, you know, obviously, Washington has the best quarterback on the board, in my estimation, and Michael Penix Jr. <clears throat> They've got talent at receiver that nobody else, even Texas, can really match. And so it would be an interesting battle, kind of the chess match to see those Washington receivers versus Alabama secondary. So I, I do think that Texas is probably the tougher match for Alabama, but... I think both would be really good games if we get them. Yeah, and I think going back to the the whole Texas thing, yes, they beat Alabama, but I'd be very – you know Nick Saban would love nothing more than another crack at them. That that would be – he's done it before. We've seen this it's, as, as the saying goes, it's hard to do what Washington just did and beat the same team twice in one season. 
let alone as as uh, as well as they did both times and the second time, you know, compared to the first. So, um, yeah, I, the whole thing with Washington and and Alabama in particular, it's fun to see these teams and Michigan. Actually, I should be honest here is to see these teams once they leave conference play, the depths of conference play, how they do when they're facing completely new programs, at least ones that have been in their own zone. Is the, is the SEC really as strong as they typically are? We thought they weren't before the season, but have they strengthened or before the regular season kind of got really in, underway? Um, is the Pac-12 as strong as we thought they were towards the end? We're going to see that. and It's going to be fun to see how they match up. And, and again, as we were just saying, to see Michigan take on an offense like what they're going to be seeing at Alabama is going to be utterly fascinating. They've seen good defenses before, but I don't think they're, they're going to have seen an offense quite like they're about to see. This, this really, it's wetting my appetite. I cannot wait for January 1st. Can cannot get here soon enough. Well, let's close it with this. What is one thing after our talk with Matt that you are most concerned about when it comes to Alabama, not just for this one game, but for the next two games potentially? Honestly, I think my biggest concern is whether or not uh, they can protect Milrow enough to allow him to continue what he was doing before. Because we've seen, you know, this is going to be a caliber of opponent that is not only going to be as talented as anyone they've faced before, but is going to be throwing things probably a little different than what they've seen all season. And he is still in his first season as a true starter of of the program. And um, again, we've talked about how much upside we see. We're talking about how going into next season, he's probably going to be, you know, a preseason Heisman candidate, if not the leading candidate, and he's going to be battling for it that year. But this is still his first season, and there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for the the experience um, in the in the pocket. And I'd love to see how he develops. And he's probably going to be the make or break for my view on how they do going into this game. Yeah, I think for me, it is just the down-to-down consistency, right? Obviously, with Michigan, they are the most efficient team in the entire country on offense. Every single play, essentially, they create a positive play for themselves. Uh, Will they be able to do that the same way? Uh, Will Alabama be able to do that same thing against Michigan? That's kind of a big question for me. We haven't necessarily seen them do it consistently over the course of multiple games. The closest that we got from it was their game against LSU, Uh, which really is one of the worst defenses that they played all season long. And their defense has done enough to allow them to be in these games regardless. But I think we need a good Alabama offense game, not a high scoring output. They don't need to score 35 points to win this game, but they do need to hang on to the ball because I think one of the most dangerous things that could happen in this game is Michigan holding the ball for more than 40 minutes of possession and Alabama's defense just getting worn out while Alabama's offense can't get anything consistent going offensively. They need to be able to hang on to the ball at least long enough to wear down that Michigan defense and then hit on some of these explosive plays on top of it. But I think they're going to be able to do it, but I'm going to be really curious whenever we get to talk to our Michigan expert later this week to see what his thoughts are on it as well. So that'll be it for this particular episode. I wanted to thank all of you who listen to us. I wanted to thank our producer, Joey Alaberti. Be sure if you get a chance to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on X or TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where you can vote, message us, and see how we look in visual versions of our particular podcast. I'm Bob Ekayeri. He's Shahanjay Araja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com. Thanks for listening. The College Football Survivor Show.
where playoff survival is always on the line.